found your way to Gab and Grow, a podcast about being a successful student at WCSU. I'm your host, Mary Beth Griffin. By day, you find me in the Housing and Residence Life offices, but when I get a chance, I sneak over to Media Services, flip on my headphones, pull in the microphone, and go wild. Today, we're focusing on you as you come to orientation. We're going to be listening into some of our podcasts from our first year and talking about what it's like to be a student and what you can expect as you transition to college. We're going to start off hearing a little bit about that from our provost, Dr. Missy Alexander, and our Dean of Students, Dr. Walter Kramer, as they talk about the process of becoming a college student. I frequently describe our traditional undergraduates as beginner adults, you know, <laughs> that, uh, that they're here with support from us to help them navigate the kinds of responsibilities of making really important decisions about your own life. So we help them in that process, but they're transitioning from home to being a a, a, a kid, a big kid, mm -hmm. I guess, into adulthood. And in the process of that, they're exploring ways in which they want to be in life, and those are potential careers, right, mm -hmm. or potential uh, ways that they want to express um, their citizenship, uh, their creative side, all of those things. So it's definitely, you know, very simply, I'm here, I want to choose a major, and I want to know what my career is going to be. But in reality, it's much more complicated than that. Right. But I also want to remind you that many of our students aren't straight from high school, mm -hmm. so those students are transitioning in a very different way. But the traditional model, it's really that, that station between high school and full adulthood. So if we stay on that, that idea of that transition from high school to college, what kinds of things, how is, how is a college student different from a high school student? Mm. Decision-making power, right? Oh, yes, indeed. Right. I mean, I think that there's a great, although we help all of our incoming first-year students mm -hmm. with a schedule for them, right, they have much more control over what's in that schedule than they did mm -hmm. in high school. They have much more control over how they spend their time than they did in high school. And there's a great uh, shift in expectations of their responsibility for their work uh, that happens. So in, if I think about the biggest leap from high school to college in the first semester, it's okay, I just had to level up. And mm -hmm. there are real consequences for my decisions, mm -hmm. you know, uh, from things that don't seem that big at first, but can add up to, I don't want to take that course, I'm going to drop it, and suddenly you don't have enough credits, mm -hmm. right? To things about understanding how much time you have to spend on task, right? To managing your time. Indeed, that's really one of the big things about that control. It's time. Mm -hmm. You have time, and now you're in control of it, and do you know how to organize it? I think... If I may, the, the other thing is um, the kinds of, uh, particularly for the high school transition from high school, um, is the, the external controls as well, and mm -hmm. the, the, that, that you are, you're not given daily assignments by, um, by your teachers. You're usually given a, well, a syllabus, and then it's up to you to, to take control of that. And um, although, you know, 65% of our students are commuters, uh, even those um, that locus control switches from a parent typically to um, the time that the, mm -hmm. the students are on campus and, and that can be a significant amount of time right. and then they are responsible you know, for that as, as well. And um, so I think yeah, going back to something you said uh, earlier, Dr. Alexander, about uh, exploring, I think of that Mark Twain, well, it's attributed to Mark Twain, uh, with the quote that ends up, explore, dream, discover. And I mm. think that's really a key, that it's an opportunity, even if a student knows exactly what they want to do, which we know they change their major yeah. <laughs> uh, several times between uh, when they enter and they leave, it really is the time that they take that opportunity to explore and dream and really discover who they are and where they want to go. Well, I think the biggest thing is to really get connected. Uh, and we say that a lot, I know we say that a lot. Uh, but the research does show that those students who who get a connection with a faculty member or with a student organization, with a you know someone they're living within the resident or living uh, within the residence hall or their roommate, that 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 gets them connected early and then they relax into uh, familiarizing themselves with the campus. And um, 
I think that makes, uh, you know, such a big difference uh, as opposed to the student who just goes to class and leaves and, or goes to class and then goes off campus to a job. So that to me is the most important thing, you know, get connected, e explore and do new things too. So I would uh, not disagree with what Dean Kramer just said, but I want to add to it. Okay. Um, uh, first off, pay attention to the connections we have set up for you. So mm -hmm. on the one hand, I've just said to you, we've taken away some of the things that were structured for you, mm -hmm. right, in high school, and now you're making those decisions. But we have a first-year course, right, and in right. that first-year course, you're supposed to be learning about all sorts of resources on campus. Mm -hmm. So that sometimes sounds like a big bunch of information that you're just trying to get your mind around early, but just keep it in the back of your mind but get get connected early. So yes, I agree, you should get into some club, you should come to some activities as soon as possible because whether you're commuting or on campus, it doesn't make any difference. Having other people to bond mm -hmm. with, to be with while you're here is really important. They just become your group, but you can start that even in the classes mm -hmm. you're in. You know, is there somebody to study with? Is there somebody to ride with? Is there somebody to have a coffee with and say, I didn't understand that, did you? You know, <laughs> it's really important. Also, perhaps one of the faculty members that you have in your first week is somebody you think you should go talk to. Mm -hmm. Actually, that's a really good thing to do. Get connected to somebody who's interesting to you mm -hmm. and just talk to them about what they do and why they're doing it. That'll help you sort through what you are interested in studying, but also just understand how uh, college faculty think, right? And they're all different, but there's this passion for discipline that is a, is a uniting variable. So that kind of connected. All those things go into your own process of making a decision about what you want to be when you grow up. So you make me, you're making me laugh because I used to have a, a professor when I was in my graduate program, my PhD program, who said, I think that students think we live in the chalk closet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, you know, it also makes, you know, so, so those kinds of conversations mm -hmm. help students understand the wholeness of their faculty. But that is, in fact, one of the critical transitions, mm -hmm. right? That you're not thinking of your faculty as that person at the front of the classroom that just gives out assignments, right. whatever, but actually a potential mentor, mm -hmm. in some cases a potential friend, mm -hmm. uh, and somebody that has this whole experience that you should benefit from, not just their expertise in your discipline. Right. And that that is the kind of, you know, if you want to use a... a, a a metaphor, it's a, a kind of networking process, mm -hmm. you know, to help you understand who's the resource on this, you know, who can help me understand where I should do an internship or, or how to, how to regroup, you know. And so we're, but the, that relationship is different from the high school relationship mm -hmm. with your teacher. Not that high school teachers don't do right. some mentoring as well, of course they do, and they're wonderful careers and they're wonderful for supports for developing, but it's a different thing. It's a, you know, you get in on a research project with a faculty member, there's a kind of equality to it, mm -hmm. you know, a collaborative nature that's a little different thing, and that's the real transition, yeah. right? Not just ownership of your time and your time management mm -hmm. skills and your decision making, but how do I have a kind of adult working relationship right. with somebody who's a scholar? Because the worst thing a student can do is wait until midterms yep. to understand it, that they need help. If you ask for help right in the first week, and I want to say this clearly, lots of students think asking for help shows that they're not mm -hmm. prepared. Trust me, the most prepared students ask for the most help. <laughs> get in there and ask for help. You know, let us support you. So get that connection too. Yeah, yeah that was actually one of the questions I was going to ask. Because for a lot of students, they aren't knowing how they're doing in a class until they get that first midterm grade. And mm -hmm. sometimes that's a little late to get started. So, sure. you know, it's I think it's being aware of what you're doing and actually showing up for class. <laughs> well, that's yeah. a big thing. But, you know, I would, I would say to you that many, many, the majority of my first-year courses mm -hmm. aren't structured around the traditional just midterm mm -hmm. and final. But some of them still right. are. But most of them aren't. So you should have an idea. Mm -hmm. But if you are in that class... Mm -hmm that is the midterm final, that is the most important class to go see the faculty member in. Right. Make sure that you're doing the right studying. Make sure that you're, you know, got, you have a grip on how to prep for that midterm, okay? And they will meet with you. Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, the vast majority of them will welcome you coming into their office and saying, okay, listen, these are my notes. Is this the way that my notes should look? Or 
what am I going to anticipate, right? For the ones that are doing more regular assessments of you, you know, a series of small assignments, you really have a lot of information to go on and go ask your, if you do badly on them, go ask your professor. Mm -hmm. Go ask. Don't sit and wonder. Go ask. It's important to go visit your faculty member during office hours, not because you necessarily have a problem, but because the faculty member is a good person to get to know. And, and uh, uh, the more you get connected that way with the faculty member, the more the faculty member understands you. And quite frankly, in the long run, that might be the very faculty member that could write a, a, you know, a good recommendation for you for a scholarship or for um, getting into a, you know, an internship or, or even a job afterwards. Well, I think uh, I would say the library, actually, because I think that's that's um, one of the most misunderstood of this generation. Um, not only is it is it a great place to get support, as I mentioned earlier, but it's it's a tremendous place to create a space for study, whether it's by yourself or with small groups, because there there you know there are rooms in there that small groups of six to eight can meet and develop that kind of relationship with your study habits, whether it's individual or collectively. And uh, so that would be the number one thing that I would say to look at. I, you know, and I've mentioned tutoring several times here, which is important, but I think the bigger picture is advising. Mm -hmm. Whether it's your faculty advisor or if you're undeclared, you're with the uh, Academic Advising Center, get to know those folks fast quickly and you know and you can uh, grow from there you'll be able to change advisors as needed in other words if you change your major and all of that but get that support fast so that you know who to call you know the first week of college is ad drop right and you might find you need to change a class you want guidance fast don't do it without talking so just start there and then obviously i think you should meet your faculty members overall but get started with that advisor first thing. So that was some good information and advice, right? Dr. Alexander also talked with us about the importance of making a plan for your academic path early in your, your career here. We call it the four-year plan, although we clearly know that for some majors and some students, getting through in four years is not realistic. The idea, however, is that you start off your college career by planning out what you're going to do, and you try to stick to that plan. Let's take a listen. Some of the factors are the fact that uh, the kids who are coming to school now, students, young adults, are frequently working, managing uh, more than just a traditional college experience. And so it's hard for them to necessarily do a full load every semester and, and keep on, on top of things. So some of those students then get off track. Um, in terms of a four-year plan. Some of those students would be better served with a five-year plan, mm -hmm. you know, and that's something that really we need to have a lot more discussion about here, you know, to say it's not a mistake to go for five right. years if we make a plan, right? But that happens, more often than not, it happens to students accidentally, mm -hmm. right? And it happens to students accidentally because they realize one semester or two semesters that they can't keep up because of external right. factors. Um, other times, it's because they change their major, and so there are certain critical requirements that they're missing, and they have to get back in a cycle. Um, that can happen. Sometimes it's a transfer thing. Sometimes students, by the way, like to stop out for a while, mm -hmm. and that's not a bad thing, again, if it's a plan, right? right? It's a perfectly good idea to say, I'm not certain of my major. I'd like a year to go try a few things out and then come back and really commit. And that's something, again, I'd like to see students do more intentionally mm -hmm. if that's best serving them. But for most students, four years is still a good marker. It's how you plan it, right? Mm -hmm. Should you do it in in the traditional semesters or should it be a mix of some summer and traditional semester? Those are things that need to be thought about. It's easy to make a four-year plan if you know what your major is, right? Mm -hmm. Let's just start with that. Let's get to the easy job. If you have a major already in mind, even a general idea of a major then it's simple you sit in you sit with an advisor or with the catalog look through the requirements and say okay how do I want to organize this over four years there are little tricks you have to make sure that you understand what prerequisites mm -hmm. are there you know so for example let's say you want to be a psychological psychology major you want to make sure that you're ready for psychological statistics so make sure you've got your beginning mathematics done Otherwise, 
it's not that big of a deal. But here's the trick in psychology. There are four courses in a row that you need to take as part of the research sequence. Mm -hmm. And so you want to make sure you get started on that early enough to get through it before senior year, right? All the rest of psychology can be taken relatively, you know, I need some of this topic and some right. of that topic. Whenever you feel like it, what the, what's the good course? But those you have to pay attention to. So that's the kind of thinking that has to go on. Similarly with, um, say, biology, you want to make sure you've got the right math beforehand, etc. So that's easy. And here's the fun stuff you should think about. You know, so I'm looking at the courses. Now I want to say, is there a good minor that I can put with this? Right. You know, let's let's say I'm a... Um, I don't know, an art history major, an art major, and I, it's really great. But more often than not, people who are in the arts end up having to manage their careers themselves. So maybe they want a minor in management mm -hmm. or business or something to go with that. So that's the fun part, right? So here's, here's my major, now here's a good minor. There's also fun things to think about, like maybe I can do a semester abroad. Are there critical prereqs that I need to do to clear a full semester right. to be away? That kind of thinking is a little more challenging, but not that hard if you just sit down with your advisor and map it out, you know. And it's really exciting stuff, so students can do that. And I would add the other is if you can get an internship in. Mm -hmm. Can I get a full-time internship, maybe a whole semester? Maybe I want to go do something in uh, New York City for a semester, right. for example. Um, there are ways that you can organize your schedule so you're not behind when you do those mm -hmm. things. So that's the kind of thinking if you know your major. When you don't know your major, We've done some work to try to help you, right? And so you will see material about this probably in the coming fall. But right now, what we're doing, it is behind the scenes. Okay. Students who are coming in undeclared are being put in what we call pre-major pathways. So we try to look at your interests and mm -hmm. put you in a pre-major pathway towards humanities disciplines, social science disciplines, or STEM disciplines. Okay. And so we're making sure that you get critical prerequisites in your first year, even though you don't quite know what you want. Mm -hmm. So that while you're in your first year experience course, you can be asking questions, but knowing that you're going to get the prereqs you need, right? There are some majors this won't work with. You know, if you're going to be in elementary education, you've got to know coming in. One of the things that I've noticed with students um, is their mistaken idea that 12 credits is enough to get you through in mm -hmm. four years mm -hmm. because 12 credits is what makes you full-time correct and so you know um, could you talk just a little bit about whether or not that's a good idea sometimes it is because right. sometimes they've got those those other obligations mm -hmm. or there's a class that's going to be particularly tough mm -hmm. but I think I see a lot of students who start out at 12 struggle with something drop something and now they're down to part-time status, and that has a lot of other impacts besides just getting the credits. Mm -hmm. So so let's start with the first. You know, the reason that there's that mythology is that 12 credits is what qualifies you for full-time status, which qualifies you for full-time aid and all sorts of other things. So people know that that's the minimum. Signing up for 12 instead of 15, and 15 is what you need per semester to get out in four years, mm -hmm. right? Or approximately. Sometimes you got 16 and 14, but more or right. less it's, it's 15 <laughs> on average. Um, that, ha that is what you should really be in okay, to get out of college in four years to get through in a traditional trajectory. Um, but sometimes, you know, let's say you need uh, a couple of really intense courses your first semester. You might want a, a lower load. You need to catch that up, mm -hmm. right? And so the trick is to figure out how to catch it up. Uh, so that you don't get behind on credits. More often than not, you can get your major covered, right, Right in that 12. And so you're sort of shocked to discover you have to do, I don't know, electives all of mm -hmm. a sudden that you didn't plan to do because you weren't doing 15 a semester. Right. So sometimes it's a good choice to do 12, but it's not a good choice to do 12 all the time. But let's be clear. I have some students every year that come in that I think, you know, you should just really plan for five years. Mm-hmm. You know, this major is extremely challenging. You were really passionate about it, and I think you can succeed. But I think that you are will not do as well if you do 15. Right. 
you know, and you might be able to catch it up in the summer, but if it, that's too hard and you're better off with just, you know, maybe you have to work all summer to earn your pay mm -hmm. to help you support things. Right. Well, then make the, make the fifth year plan, you know, and let's budget your aid accordingly and mm -hmm. everything else. Um, I'm thinking, you know, for example, meteorology. Right. Right. You can do meteorology in four years if you come in really strong in mathematics from the start. Mm -hmm. But some people don't, but they love this career. Many of our students in meteorology really persist. Yep. They really want to do it, but they're not ready right away. Then it's better to start right away with the let me just go slightly slower mm -hmm. and you can do it. So, you know, it's not a failure not to do it in four years. Right. It's a good thing if to do it in four years if that's the best thing for, you know, your both your career plans and your financial uh, situation, but in reality, for many students, five years is a good idea. Right. What are some kinds of general advice that you would give to students as they're getting started on this path to make that idea of a four-year plan, or if it needs to be a five-year plan for them, you know, how, how would you suggest they go about that? Sure. Start with looking at the majors of interest to you, and just what are the requirements. Look at how they should be organized. Look at some of the sample four-year plans we have for you. Think about all of the experiences that you want in your undergraduate time mm -hmm. and then how you're going to fit them in. I think that's the best way to go about it. I would add just one little piece, which is maybe you could think about your four-year plan this way. What would you like your resume to say when you graduate? Mm -hmm. What are all the experiences you want to have as an undergraduate that you want reflected on your transcript, that you can then translate into a discussion of who you are for your next steps after you leave here. And really think of it that way. And of course, meet with your advisor. Those are the best steps. Yeah. As you're meeting with your faculty during orientation, you'll want to ask them questions about that four-year plan and helping to get through your program here and hear from them how students in the program tend to navigate their way through. One of the key ways you'll find success here at Western Connecticut State University is in getting to know your professors. Because we're a smallish institution, our class sizes are pretty small too, and there's an excellent opportunity to have one-on-one -on -one interactions with your professors. When I was in school, many of my classes had 200 or more people in them. There was no way a professor was really going to have time to get to know me in one of those giant lectures. Here, you're rarely in a class of more than 25, so the opportunities to meet with your professor for office hours or after class is exponentially higher than what I had available. We talked to two of our professors last year about this idea of getting to know your professors and why it's so important to you in your college years. Let's listen in as Dr. Chris Cook, director of the university's Kathwari Honors Program, and Dr. Don Gagnon, who teaches in honors, English, and theater arts, tells us about making the most of these opportunities. Getting to know your professors early is key. And I think one of the reasons, and we can get into a bunch of them, but one of the practical reasons is that I get a lot, especially as the director of the Kathwari Honors Program, opportunities, both internships, um, meetings with dignitaries, that you know, if I know your major and mm -hmm. I know what your interests are, I can connect you, you know, with those opportunities that happen. I mean, we have everything from uh, the visit, two-day visit with His mm -hmm. Holiness the Dalai Lama, yeah. where the honor students were a key, a key part of yeah. that. And so I knew that certain students were interested in certain fields that were going to be prominent in his visit. Mm -hmm. And so I was able to get them, you know, opportunities to do that. And every year now, we also have opportunities during the summer with a thing called Kent Presents. It's like TED Talks on the mm -hmm. East Coast, right here in Kent, Connecticut. And so I take students from every different major who I know, and I look at the guest lists who are going to be speaking. Yep. I grab them and say, you know, this is an opportunity. But if I don't know you, I can't, like, offer you yep. that opportunity because yep. I, I just simply don't know what your interests are. But, you know, those are just two examples mm -hmm. of you know, right off the top of my head. But, you know, Don, Don, I'm sure, has some other things to say, too. Well, indeed, and it, and it speaks to why it's important to do it right at the beginning of mm -hmm. a college career. Now, of course, I mean, you know, we can't hold students responsible yep. for hitting everything from day one. There's an awful <laughs> lot to right. incorporate into one's daily existence <laughs> when one starts at the university level. But already this semester, is uh, similar to what Chris was saying, um, I was made aware of a job opening, a professional level mm -hmm. administrative job opening at City Center in New York City, mm -hmm. 
one of the primary performing arts venues and certainly one of tremendous interest to theater majors. Right. It's a place where you can make a very, very nice career. Who do I know? Who do mm-hmm. I know who has the skills, the background, right. the knowledge, and, of course, the, the ethics to succeed right. in such a position, right? I know people like that. So I can reach out and I can say, hey, mm-hmm. listen, there's this job. Are you interested? And then they're off and running. Right. Um, yeah, so it's it's important for that reason. And I think it's important probably to, to for students to push themselves to do that early mm-hmm. in the semester. Again, regardless of what is probably most students' inclination to hold back, we understand the value of getting a lay of the land. Mm-hmm. We're not not trying to eviscerate the importance of that. Um, but listen, we're going <laughs> to – we've got so many students coming to yeah. us for this and for that. Um, it helps us not only to remember your name but your face and who you are, mm-hmm. right? So we can not only look to you but look for you yeah. uh, for ways to help professionally or otherwise. I know that students, particularly in their first year or so, are a little maybe hesitant about reaching out to a professor, you know, and it's not like high school. You don't pass a little note and say, will you be my friend kind of thing. So <laughs> so how do, how do students start forming that relationship with you? What are some of the things that they can do right off the bat? I mean, one of the things that as part of now a first year uh, you know, classes is that you have students as part of the requirement of going to class is to visit the professors they have for classes that they're taking. So they have to come visit us and get our signature uh, on the piece of paper. So it's being also set up where you're mm-hmm. going to have to come and visit yeah. us. Uh, the other thing is, is that I try to have them form in groups where they then can come talk to me. Uh, about uh, for projects. Mm-hmm. So it breaks the ice. You don't have to come alone. Yeah. Because, right? yeah. you know, maybe Don and I have extra large teeth. I don't know. And uh, <laughs> we could look fearful or so, you know, you could be fearful of us. Um, but so it's one of the ways I try to, I, I break the ice is, you know, I have them do group projects where they have to come to me about their project. Yeah. And that kind of breaks the ice about coming to see, mm-hmm. to see me. Uh, so we try to incorporate ways as mm-hmm. professors to to make that dynamic happen. But I, I wanted to add one other thing about not just the practical side that you know both Don and I talked mm-hmm. about, but I, I know Don, that's why I recruited him to teach in the honors program as well. He actually cares, yeah. <laughs> yeah. truly, sincerely cares about people, you mm-hmm. as a person, not just you as a student, but you right. as a per- person. And that's the thing. I mean, when life happens, and it happens to us all the mm-hmm. time, to yeah. every single one of us, we can help through those times. If we know, like, I remember this one student just two years ago. She was bubbly up, always, always, always having done the reading, right. you know, and this was just the first two weeks. I could tell she was, mm-hmm. just, you know, one of those superstars that was just going to take yeah. off. And then all of a sudden, she was sitting in the back of the room, didn't raise her hand. So she had come see me about a couple of questions on the first the first week. And so, you know, I was I was thinking about opportunities for her, right? Because I could tell right out of the box she was just a superstar. Yeah. And then it closed down. So I asked her. I waited until everyone left. Mm-hmm. And I asked, you know, could you just stay behind? And I simply asked, is there something wrong? And she broke down. And walked back to my office and found out that her mother was dying of cancer. Mm-hmm. And if I didn't see her and active in... I don't know if I would have done that because right. I wasn't sure who she was, but I did. I, mm-hmm. In two weeks, I found out who she was, and I was able to help her through and go to talk to another professor about what was going on yeah. and help her you know, move forward instead mm-hmm. of having her academic career get crushed, yeah. right? We, a few of us, you know, helped her get through. Get through. And, you know, I don't, I don't know if you ever get through that, yeah. but, yeah. but we, we helped her kind of get she wasn't alone. She didn't get swallowed by it. Right. right. You, ma- so you it's manage not, it in a healthy way. Yeah. Right. So it's not just the professional side. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm so glad you had both of us here. It's, yeah. it's on that personal side. Right. And to, there are those of us who actually care about yeah. you <laughs> as a person. <laughs> and that's the stuff that we can also have, the intangible yeah. stuff that in, in inevitably happens. And you're four years with us, three years in some mm-hmm. instances. Uh, and then how we how we go about doing that becomes our own individual affair. One of the things that I do, um, often students will walk into my office and kind of apropos of nothing, I have a display of superhero action figures mm-hmm. in my office. What's going on there? And yeah. all of a sudden, 
most students have something to talk about in the office that isn't my diploma, that isn't the computer or the printer or that isn't the uh, overwhelming, uh, you know, walls lined Mm -hmm. with books, which are all fine. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But I know from my own experience, right, that these things can be intimidating. But if I see an action figure up there of... Mm, or, you know, X, <laughs> Y, or Z. Oh, my gosh. And all of a sudden, there's a conversation happening right. with your professor as opposed to an appointment happening exactly. with your professor. Some folks that we've had in for some of the other things have talked about the importance of making use of office hours mm-hmm. and and that, you know, oftentimes people don't. So I'm wondering, you know, is that that's a great option for starting that that first level of contact with things. Without a doubt, I think you know. And it's so all... reliable because it's it there is. every week and it's printed on the yeah. syllabus or online. <laughs> it's going to be there yeah. again. You know, given some exception, yeah. some exceptional circumstance, but it's going to be there for them. Right, and I think for many of us, those it's five hours minimum. Yeah. But for many of us, it's a lot more yeah. than that. Yeah. And so, you know, my, my policy: if my door is open. I have office hours. You mm-hmm. can stop in at any time because we have a lot of students who also work. Yeah. And, and so the office hours in some instances, and just actually before this class, I was right. working with a student trying to come up with another day and time mm-hmm. that works for her because of her two jobs. Right. And she's going full time. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll change it up. Whatever you need, we'll, we'll be there. Well, and one of the things I wanted to say, too, is that it's not always a professor that's in your major or the area that you're really concentrated in. So often there's somebody in a class that you have to take that, you know, has that kind of passion for what they're doing or just something clicks for you and you automatically you see that it's related somehow to, you know, music and poli sci that you might never have thought were were interrelated. So don't close yourself off. Just so you know, they are. They are. (laughs) Yeah, but don't close yourself off to those experiences, too, because... They're there and they're waiting for you, too. So don't just keep your focus so narrow on, you know, where you want to be 10 years from now that you miss some of the opportunities Mm. that are right here in front of you, too. Right. And it doesn't mean that you need to change your major. It means, you know, your life is going to be full of a lot of things. And if that's a subject or a topic that all of a sudden starts starts to charge you, but you're not interested in changing your major because you like that also, great. It's just going to make for a fuller life if you continue to engage and develop that energy uh, to the point that you were just saying, indeed, it was a freshman comp uh, instructor that made yep. the difference. Everybody has to take freshman comp, mm-hmm. right? And and it, it can be in many, especially large universities, mm-hmm. a, a kind of, you know, it's a mill, right? Get yep. the students through this yep. course so they can all write a, a, an essay. Uh, and this was a, a university of about 10,000 students at the time. And her individual approach the way she was concerned about the way we expressed ourselves, all you know, professionally, all yeah. according to to uh, writing standards, but she was concerned about our expression. Um, and so then, years later, when I was making that decision about what really do I want to do with my life, mm-hmm. I went back and I realized she made me realize that I can write. Mm-hmm. I wasn't even trying to be a writer. I had no interest in English or anything. But she made me realize I can write. And that's what started me thinking on that fateful day of, okay, I need to fo- refocus mm-hmm. my interests and energies in something that's going to make me happy for the next 30 or 40 years. And it was her and it was what she did in that class when I wasn't even studying yeah. what she was trying to tell me. Um, but it was there. And fortunately, I'm sorry, side note, I know we're running low on time. <laughs> but as one of those graduate uh, school conferences that I uh, that I presented mm-hmm. at, one of them, I had not seen her since freshman year, 10 years before. Yeah. Um, she was speaking at that conference also. And I saw her name on the program yeah. and I said, I need to. And I went to her session and I'm going to tell her, thank you for mm-hmm. being that one who made the difference and you are right. And of course, I went up and I said, my name is Don Gagnon. And she said, do I know you? <laughs> <laughs> and of course, yeah. that's to be expected. Yeah. One of how many freshman comp right. students, how many years ago? Didn't matter. I mm-hmm. had the chance to tell her, thank you yep. for what you brought into the classroom. That has made my life what it's supposed to be. As we wrap up, are there things that you really want students to think about and know in terms of getting to know their professors and why it's important and and why they should try to do it? 
I mean, other than the things we have already yeah. talked about, one, and it kind of builds off of what Don was just saying, but it's not just the passion that a professor has mm -hmm. for his or her class, but also your p passion, mm -hmm. right? So sometimes you don't know about that until, as you said, you take a class outside what your major yep. is. And here, I want the students to know that you can actually create your own major. Yep. Right? You have your contract major. And I have so many students who are graduating mm -hmm. with environmental policy making. Yep. We do not have an environmental policy making mm -hmm. department, but they combine biology with poli sci to create their own major here. Yep. We've had a young lady graduate with a computer gaming software degree. Mm -hmm. We do not have a computer gaming yep. software <laughs> department. But what she did is she um, connected history professors with computer science professors and created a medieval history game Me. based on real yeah and yeah. it was really cool and so her, her thesis at the end was where and this was the funny part the professors had to play the game <laughs> right? <laughs> and and we have some amazing professors you know just off the top of my head dr lindenauer in history mm -hmm. we have you know dr gagnon in theater and in, mm -hmm. in english that you can combine yep. two different areas to create your own passion. And, Was that and a that, plug for the American Studies program? <laughs> <laughs> That's a plug for you guys, just plain and straight and simple. And, and I feel lucky that I have the colleagues that I have yeah. here. And I think get to know your professor because they're going to connect you with other professors that are right in your wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. And I think something that often gets overlooked is not the just the campus relationship, but the lifelong relationship. Mm -hmm. My dissertation director is the dearest man in the world, Jack Moore. Yeah. I was the last doctoral student he ever hooded in his life. He had a stroke a month after wow. uh, yeah. my hooding ceremony, and he never recovered from it. And to this day, there, there are things, issues, topics related to the profession and just to our mutual areas of interest where I just want to pick up the phone mm -hmm. and call him and talk to him about it because as much as we love our friends and our family mm -hmm. and our colleagues, there's somebody who knows your work, who mm -hmm. knows – um, your intellectual process, who knows all of that, right? Where else are you going to find that? Where else are you going to turn? You may find somebody else, great. But here's somebody that you've, in, in all, for all intents and purposes, here's somebody you've paid for to be mm -hmm. that person. Yeah. And if you've yeah. done your homework and found that person on campus, what a wonderful lifelong yeah. resource. If you take nothing away from this podcast other than the notion that you should take the time to talk to and get to know your professors and to let them get to know you too, well, that's going to make this a successful episode. Something we all think about is our safety. Overall, WCSU is a very safe campus, but like everywhere on earth, there's always the potential for bad things to happen. When we worry about our safety, it can really wreak havoc with our comfort but we're extremely fortunate to have our own WCSU Police Department, Academy of Trained Officers, who do some incredible work keeping us safe. Lieutenant Rick Montefusco spoke with us in the fall about things we can do to keep ourselves and our campus safe. Let's take a listen to some of what the lieutenant had to say. We are probably uh, one of the safest campuses in the state of Connecticut, yeah. based on statistics. So if we're safe, why is it important that we're talking about campus safety then? <laughs> well, safety and security is everyone's responsibility. In order to maintain the safe atmosphere that we have and the safe community that we have, it takes a little bit of effort from everyone involved. Yeah. The onus doesn't lie just on the police department. Mm -hmm. We need help. I mean, you know, we're out there, we're doing our thing, we're uh, trying to prevent uh, any type of crime that mm -hmm. goes on and trying to be visible and trying to be seen. But, you know, there's obviously places where we can't be and, you know, we're not, you know, uh, visible uh, to a lot of people at, you know, certain times. So it takes a concerted effort from everyone to basically keep us safe. Yeah. Now, we are lucky because we have, you guys are actually a police department. A lot of campuses, especially some of the privates and things, people have a campus safety unit. So yes. can you talk just a little bit so people understand what the difference between those two are? We have, actually, we have um, the best of both worlds. Uh, we have a fully certified police department. Uh, the officers are all trained by the uh, municipal police council or post uh, training 
academy, uh, fully certified police officers, full arrest powers, and uh, we are here 24-7, 365. And we also have buildings and grounds patrol that acts as um, our security and are dispatchers mm -hmm. and they're fully uh, certified telecommunications officers uh, they're really good at what they do and you'll see them out there uh, along with the police officers on uh, our mountain bikes which mm -hmm. um, have actually taken off in the last uh, probably year year and a half we've the people that we've hired uh, just happen to be certified uh, mm -hmm. in bike patrol, so you're going to see them out there a lot more. Well, that's one of the things, too, that I, um, I've i always appreciated about the PD here is that, you know, you guys are around and people get to know you and you're, you know, you're in our buildings, in the residence halls, you're in the campus centers and, and student centers, you're in the classrooms, you're around campus, you're at events. People get to know you. Right. You know, and I think that's really important. That's the critical key. You you have to know the community in which you're serving. Mm -hmm. You have to get down to the roots, understand the dynamics, understand, you know, the different uh, elements of your community mm -hmm. and just, you know, dig in and our guys have fun doing it. Yeah. I mean, we have... Uh, you know, so many different programs that we like to, uh, you know, put on and, um, you know, work with the students and some of them are, I mean, I just sat there this morning and literally uh, scheduled about five different programs that are mm -hmm. coming up. One of them is the uh, DWI awareness with the golf cart yeah. and the uh, DWI goggles, which yeah. is always a huge <laughs> Um, event and it's it's fun. It yeah. actually opens a lot of eyes, and yeah. that you know that helps us. Yeah, we talk about that when students move in in the the fall. We talk about you know if you see people who are hanging around the doors that aren't people you recognize from the building, right? To you know maybe let someone know about that, you know, because Absolutely. they often are just trying to find a way in, you know. So exactly, and they <laughs> they you know a lot of people like to tailgate too. Yeah. And, and yeah. which is a huge no-no. You know, you don't know who you're letting in and you don't know if you're going to become the next victim of a mm -hmm. theft or, mm -hmm. you know, people leave their uh, doors open. I mean, there's a we can all have that false sense of security. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, again, with the education piece and letting people know, you know lock your doors, take your card, take your keys, take whatever it may be with you. You know, it may be a little inconvenience, but in the long run, it's going to help you. Yeah. You know, there's stuff that you have that other people want, let's face mm -hmm. it, that other people can't afford. Yeah. And they're going to want to take it if the opportunity is there. We know the desire is there, but, you know, if that opportunity is there, they're going to take it. There's, there's a multitude of things you can do to remain safe. And the university has basically um, understood that dynamic of the safety aspect of it. They've installed uh, the lights, their brighter lights in the garages, um, you know, the different areas, the upgrades and some of the cameras and so on and so forth. And they really took a vested interest, you know, in the safety mm -hmm. of it. And what you can do to stay safe is if you're feeling uncomfortable, it's late at night, one, two in the morning, we have several professors that work late that faithfully and on a day-to-day -day basis call the police department mm -hmm. and ask for an escort. Ask, you know, one of the officers or one of our uh, buildings and grounds patrol to come out and escort them to the vehicle. That's a service we provide, and we will do that 24-7. Um, it doesn't have to be at night. I mean, if you're nervous. So if people wanted to do that, it's just calling the PD Absolutely. The at the, 837-9300? Yes, that's our main number. That's another thing that everybody needs to put in their phone, you know, including 911 and so on and so forth and understand how all of that works. Yeah. Um, the other things that I like to, you know, preach, so to speak, to remain safe is how difficult is it to leave your residence hall and tell someone where you're going. Mm -hmm. Hey, I'm going. Yeah. I'm going out to so-and-so. I'm going out to the mall. I'm going out to Chili's. I'm going out to mm -hmm. wherever. Just someone has an idea. If, you know, uh, 
worst case scenario, you get into an accident, no mm-hmm. one knows about it. At least someone knew where you were right. at that point in time or uh, a starting point. And I think, you know, with that and with everything else, just the whole concept of being safe on campus leads back so much to just using some common sense. Absolutely. You know, I, I grew up in Ohio, and so the first couple times that I went into the city, it was, you know, a little overwhelming because I was a Culture Ohio shock. suburban kind of girl. But, you know, what I found is that if you, you know, if you watch what's going on around you, if you watch where you're walking, if you you know, are careful with your belongings, if you're just paying attention to what's going on, Absolutely. you know, that that you're far more likely not to find yourself in some kind of dangerous situation. And I kind of made that my, you know, sense of being everywhere, not just when I go into the Absolutely. city, because the same thing could happen to you at Stop and Shop. You know, it doesn't have to be anywhere and everywhere. You know, a big, bad city. So do you have, as we're, you know, kind of getting ready to, to close up, um, Thoughts or ideas about, about you know, some other things people can do to stay safe. And then if something happens, you know, to somebody, what should they do? Obviously, if you see something, you're going to dial 911 immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to – call center is going to go into uh, Danbury PD. Mm-hmm. Uh, Danbury PD is going to dispatch us. It'll, it'll bump right over to our mm-hmm. um, system. Uh, you're going to have a host of police officers, not only from us, but from other jurisdictions as mm-hmm. well, mainly Danbury. Uh, yeah. We are obviously in their backyard, mm-hmm. and uh, we play very well with them in the yeah. sandbox, so to yeah. speak. Just, you know, get a, get on the phone, be a great witness, mm-hmm. you know, try to absorb everything you've seen, try to, um, you know, take a deep breath, because it is a stressful situation, mm-hmm. you know, and a lot of things play uh, with your mind during stressful situations. Yep. So kind of take a deep breath and try to be a great witness mm-hmm. and try to tell us exactly what you saw, describe it to a T, um, whether it's a male, female, um, whatever they might have had. Uh, just, you know, be a great witness for us. And, again, uh, staying safe is everyone's responsibility. Just give us a call. Don't worry about the fact that, uh, you know, I don't know if I should call. This is kind of minor. and No, just call us. Don't worry about whether it's major, whether it's minor. Yeah. Call us. We'll determine it, and we'll get back to you and tell you exactly what it is. The best thing I can tell you about safety on campus is that we really believe that it's everyone's responsibility and we all take part in the process of keeping each other safe. Be smart, be careful, and be safe. Just getting by is sometimes really hard, especially when you're a new student and you're facing all kinds of new challenges. You may feel homesick, you're missing a significant other who went to another school, you're feeling swamped by your classwork, or you're just generally anxious and maybe a little overwhelmed. It's okay. It happens to just about every one of us. But there are some skills you can practice and learn that will help you with this transition and to help you throughout your life when you're feeling like the water around you is staying just about chin level. It's called resiliency. We had the opportunity to talk about this with someone who knows a great deal about it, and she just happens to be one of my sisters. Let's take a minute to hear some tips for resiliency from Dr. Jenny Griffin, Dean of Apex at the College of Worcester in Ohio, and see what she has to say. So, like I said, we're here today to talk about resilience, so I'm going to start with something that's a simple question, but probably a complicated answer. What's resilience? So it is a simple question, and it is a complicated (laughs) answer, Um, but but I'll try and make it um, fairly simple. Uh, Most people think about resilience um, as the ability to adapt to changing circumstances that are are less than ideal, um, potentially adverse. So if you think about it, it's it's really what's your ability to bounce back after you've had an experience that's probably not so positive. Okay. Okay. So... You and I talked a little bit, um, you know, sharing notes and things about this when we were getting ready for it. And one of the things that um, you talked about was resilience being 
working toward thriving and away from a deficit model of mental health. So what does that mean for real people like me? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the, the, the lingo now on campus is, um, the, the hot lingo, is to, to really think about what is it that we need to do as human beings to be our best selves. And so um, a, a large part of that is really thinking about what's in our best interest, um, how can we have a sense of well-being, and thriving is just one way of saying, you know, how do we how do we make sure that we're doing the best that we can do or maximize our sort of daily circumstances? And I think, you know, what we're what we're seeing here is we're really seeing um some changes to to the way students come to to college. So, you know, one of the things I think about in terms of um the students that we're dealing with now, first and foremost, is they've they've always known education to be um, stressful and success oriented. And and here's what I mean by that: um, students who are in college now have never known education without high stakes testing, for mm, instance. Yeah. Um, you know, I know your daughter and my daughter and my son um, really really sort of got geared up for those those lovely proficiency tests yeah. or state tests. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of a lot of emphasis was put on uh, being successful about that and that created some stress. Right. Uh, add to that that these these students that we deal with now have had most of their lives scheduled with activities. Mm-hmm. So every night of the week doing something extracurricularly and and so they're they're set up to to have come to college with um, very strict schedules that somebody has always monitored for them, keeping them on track. Parents who wake them up in the morning, parents who remind them of their their homework, um, parents who remind them to practice, parents who cart them to and from uh, school, and and to a large extent, parents who. Um, get involved in solving problems, not with their children, but frequently for their children. So, so, so I must have been it, a failure as a parent. What, what's that? I said I must have been a failure as a parent because I did none of that for my daughter. Well, let's be clear. Your, your <laughs> child and my children wouldn't allow us to be that involved. <laughs> Which, you know, is probably to, to their benefit, actually. Yeah. Um, because I think what we did was we enabled them to um, come to us when they had a problem that they needed advice for, but we mm-hmm. didn't step in and solve the problem for them. Yeah. Um, but but having having said that, I think what happens is students get to college then, and they've they've had no real opportunity to fail. Mm-hmm. Um, they've had no opportunity to to have adverse events happen outside of their typical family support structure, um, or sometimes, you know, the, the opposite can be true. They've actually come with far too much um, stress and failure yeah. and lack of support, and so they don't necessarily see themselves as being successfully resilient. And so you've got, you know, you've got a mixture of those factors, and then we put them in a wildly different environment, and we say, okay, it's time to sink or swim. Yeah, and you get to figure it out. And so I think what's happening on campuses, um, pretty much nationally now, is that we've recognized, aha, we've got to do something to help students find these skills, practice these skills, and actually view this as a skill set rather than um, an inborn trait. I'm either resilient or I'm not. Um, we've got to tell them and show them that this is something that they can grow through practice. You know, I tend to think of, of my life as a big sine wave. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, now she's throwing people, math in now. <laughs> I know, right? Most most people don't see their lives as cyclical and sine wavy, yeah. right? Yeah. So sinusoidal, but but I in fact do. And and what I mean by that is that, you know, I've had I've had just absolutely amazing things happen in my life, yeah. and I have deep gratitude for all of the amazing things that that I've been able to do. Um, I've also had very stressful, very sad, um, awful times in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, I'm sorry for some of those. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I mean, but that's life. And and so if you view it as it's cyclical. So that's, I mean, that's maybe step one, right? I view it as cyclical. And I see Mm -hmm. that where there's a a valley, there is a peak that will come back. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of, you know, the first thing in, in, as I think about um, being resilient, the first thing I know with, without a doubt, is that when there is a valley, when I am in troubled times, there will, in fact, come another peak. Yeah. And, and for some people, they, they have difficulty seeing that a peak will come again. You know, so the first thing is maybe to, to start educating them about their own, their own automatic thinking. You know, yeah. so... So my automatic thought is, yeah, today really was a bad day, (laughs) but I will wake up tomorrow and I will have an opportunity to make tomorrow better. There are lots of people in the world that don't operate from that place Mm -hmm. automatically. Uh, And so you have to teach them some some reframing and some, some ways to think differently and go outside their habits of thought. So part okay. of resilience practice really is is getting people to identify what their automatic thoughts are and then get them to reframe those thoughts in a way that they can begin to see, oh, well, but maybe things do get better. And if I look at the balance of my life, have I had more happy times? Have I had, um, have I had some of those peak experiences as well as some of those, those valleys? Yeah, so, so that's that's. Go ahead. Well, I was just saying, you know, there are a couple things that that really came to mind as you were talking about that. And and one of the things about the peaks and valley things that, mm-hmm. you know, I, I always tend to think in metaphor. And so, yeah. you know, Jeez, I'm thinking, an English major thinking in metaphor. I know. Frightening, isn't it? Um, <laughs> but one of the things I was thinking of is that, you know, the art of resiliency is I think sometimes when you're struggling with resiliency, you tend to to look at those peaks and valleys as a roller coaster. And so it's like it's going to be automatic. You go downhill and then you'll come up again. And it's really more like you're hiking that, you know, you may be down in that valley, but there's probably some work associated with getting out of it, you know. Yeah. So, so you, what a great metaphor that is, actually. Thank you. And I just <laughs> thought of that as we were talking. <laughs> it's not even on my notes, but you, know, you are a genius. Man. Absolutely. Uh-huh. The, the uh-huh. other thing is you talked about that the art of practicing resiliency. And, you know, it's it's like if you're doing a marathon or you're prepping for an exam or something, you've you've got to actually work at it. We all know students who who come to campus who may be quite introverted who might even be shy, and mm-hmm. those are two different things, as yep. you and I well know, yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and maybe both exhibit at yes. times in our lives. Um, but I think the you know the thing is is that there are there are things that we can do again to make students one aware of what their social support network is. So, what is your support network right at this very moment? Um, there are actually, I've seen some tools that are really cool. It's just sort of a, a simple checklist. One is, you know, on one side you list the people that you think are in your social support network, and then there are sort of check marks of the roles that they might play. So is this mm-hmm. person a cheerleader? Is this person someone who offers advice? Is this person someone um, who uh, can help you meet other people, right? So there are yeah. various roles in that social support network. But by making students aware, number one, that social support is important. Yeah. Number two, um, by making them think about who are the people that they can go to. And then number three, maybe making them aware that, that they might need to reach out to others. Again, over, over this nearly 30 years in this business, I've worked with a lot of students who sort of get stuck. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a key sign of, of depression, a key symptom of depression is mm-hmm. what we call that, that um, cycle of despair. Yeah. And so you sort of get, you get stuck in, in thinking about um, all of the horrible things that did happen and might happen in the future. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, in, in conversations with students, you know, one of the things that I would share with them is that, sure, I've had times in my life that have really been pretty sucky. Um, and over time, 
um, one of the things that I developed was um, setting a time limit on my wallowing in the suck, as mm. I <laughs> refer <laughs> yeah. to it. You know, and so so I do discuss with students. You know, wallowing in a feeling for a while is a positive thing, yeah. right? So so if I'm feeling sad, I'm I set a timer. Literally, yeah, and I wallow in sadness for an hour, yeah, because sadness is the world telling me something is impinging on on my well being, yeah. So I sort of let myself process that, and I I provide a strategy for students to wallow, right? I give mm-hmm. them permission, wallow for an hour. But if you find yourself wanting to go over that hour, you've got to get up and do something different, yeah. So. If you're wallowing in sadness for an hour, then after the hour ends, maybe put in the funniest comedian you know. For me, you know, I throw in uh, Monty Python, The Meaning of Life, Mm -hmm. or Monty Python, The Life of Brian, and I giggle through it, and I laugh through it. It's impossible to feel bad while laughing. Um, yeah. Another another strategy put on um, that I cat cat on Roomba videos or something. There you go. Right. Yeah. Whatever works for you. Yeah. Sure. Um, read the thoughts of a dog Twitter account. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, there there are lots of things that can make us feel better. Dear God, read Lin Manuel. Uh, uh, what's it? Yeah. Thank you. I can never remember his last name. Um, but read his good night, good mornings. I mean, those yeah. are um, amazing affirmations, right? So do something that makes you feel better. You know, the other thing is, is this really does break the cycle of despair, is if someone gives you item after item of bad things that are happening, look them in the eye, and I've done this with my own daughter Mm -hmm. and with um, many, many students, but look them in the eye and say, okay, you've now talked about all of the things that you think are going wrong. Now I want you to give me two examples of something that's gone right. Yeah. Right? And um, we have lots of evidence out there that when we start paying attention to little things to be grateful for, mm-hmm. it, it sort of breaks us from that brain cycle, that, that habit, that neural network we've developed to think of only despairing thoughts. Yeah. So one of the best exercises around is to um, write three things at the end of each day that you were thankful for or that went right. Mm-hmm. And gratitude journals work. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I've I've done them. I I continue uh the, my sunrises and sunsets on Facebook as as most of my friends know are my um contribution to this is what I'm gra- I'm grateful for. Mm-hmm. I have another day. Yep. Um and and so it it really does change people's thinking. Um but you have to I think you have to be with the student or or your friend or whatever person you're talking to and saying, "Yes, we see that things are not as they should be, and yes, your feelings are appropriate. Mm-hmm. Go there for a while. Yeah. Just don't get stuck there. Yeah. And here are some ways to unstick yourself. Let me help you with that. So, um, I mean, I think the, the first thing I would say is remember that, that you have the ability to change the way your brain is wired. So I'm, you know, I'm a cognitive psychologist who loves neuroscience, right? So the first thing we know is that the brain is not um, hard, well, it's not stable in its wiring and that we control through our experiences and our thought patterns the way our brain is wired. Mm -hmm. So if you think of yourself as being able to grow your neural connections in a way that you wish to, so think of this as a growth mindset, right? But mm. in a very neuronal level, we have amazing power to change the way we think about the world. And so if we're conscious of the fact that we control our own responses to the environment mm-hmm. and that we control um, in large part the way our brains are wired, then change is possible. And when we admit that change is possible, then we have to think about, okay, what are the responsible ways that I can change the way my brain is wired? And for me, that, you know, involves um, 10 minutes of meditation before I go to sleep at night to keep me calm. It involves um, me reaching out to my friends and maybe sharing not just the good stuff that's going on in my life, but some of the crappy stuff that's going on. Mm -hmm. Because you know what? We all need some support sometimes. Yeah. 
It's, it's me taking care of myself and making sure that I sleep and that I eat well and that I make time to bathe mm-hmm. and that I manage my tasks on my list of things to do, <laughs> right? There's some really great advice in this episode, and you can hear it all by looking for Gab and Grow, A Bump in the Road Won't Wreck the Car. This is just an overview of some of the information that's available to you on our Gab and Grow podcast. You can find these and other topics by looking to wcsu.edu slash podcasts and looking for Gab and Grow. We have two other episodes specifically for orientation that you might want to check out too. One's all about the services for you on campus that will be really helpful in your first year, and the other is advice for new students. If you have a chance, why not check them out? That's going to do it for this episode. I'm the host, Mary Beth Griffin, and if you had questions that didn't get answered here, you can always email me at griffinm at wcsu, and I'll try to get the right answer for you. I'm looking forward to getting to know you all in the fall, so please stop back and listen to Gavin Grow again. Bye now.